Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. As always, please be sure to check out our episode description. There you will find our timestamps so you can skip around as much as you'd like, as well as the links to our TikTok and Instagram, and a link to help us out over here at Crime Dive. If you hear a little bit of noise in the background, I apologize. It is raining here. I don't know if that is going to be picked up in the mic or not. I don't think it's too hard, but it's kind of on and off. So just beware of that. Today, we are going to be talking about a very, very shocking case. And I have never heard of anything like this before. This tragic event occurred in 2015. And this is really an example of what can happen if people don't see the signs of someone struggling or do anything about it. Some people are oftentimes very good at hiding their mental health issues, so much so that it is to the detriment of them and the people around them. When they don't know how to talk about it, it's just hard for them to come to terms with, things like this can happen. With that, let's get right into the case. Andreas Gunter Lubitz was born on December 18th, 1987 in Newburgh, Andernau, Germany. I really hope I said that right. I looked up the pronunciation of it on so many websites. So if I did not say that right, I apologize. His parents' names were Gunther and Ursula Lubitz. He also had a younger brother. Gunther was a banker and Ursula was a piano teacher. People who knew Andreas called him Andy, so I'll be referring to him as Andy for the remainder of the episode. Andy grew up in Montabar, which is a town in Southwest Germany. And he was described as being quiet, sweet, disciplined. He enjoyed running and was very passionate about becoming a pilot one day. From a young age, Andy always wanted to fly planes. He had his bedroom walls just covered with posters of planes. He was very passionate about that. That was what he wanted to do with his life. So at the age of 14, he joined the LSC Westerwald Glider Club in Montabar. He learned how to fly glider planes and he obtained a glider's license. In 2007, he graduated from high school and immediately applied to the Lufthansa Flight Training Pilot School in Bremen, Germany. And this school was ran by a company called Lufthansa which is actually a German airline. Now this school was very hard to get accepted into, but the following year in September of 2008, Andy was a part of the 5% of applicants who were accepted and he began the program. This was a huge accomplishment for him and he was excited to get started on his dream because all he ever wanted to do was be a pilot. Now in this flight training school, you had to study aviation theory for a year before you even get inside the cockpit. So once you studied aviation theory for a year at the school in Germany, you were transferred to another training school in Goodyear, Arizona, which was in the United States. And it was there that you would actually begin practice your flying. But by November, just a month into the program, Andy decided to drop out and he returned home to Montabar. Now this sounds very shocking because becoming a pilot was his dream. So you would think why on earth would he even think or even dream of dropping out? Well, Andy was struggling behind all of this, behind all the accomplishments, finally feeling like he was getting ready to live out his dream. He was struggling with severe depression. A couple months after returning home, he decided to go see a psychiatrist to figure out what exactly was going on and why. And it was there that he found out he'd been suffering from a deep depressive episode. And he was also struggling with thoughts of suicide. The doctor said that Andy's depression was caused by his relocation to Bremen for flight school. And just being away from 
his parents and his brother for the first time. He just wasn't used to being away from home. He was having a hard time adjusting, even though he was at this amazing flight school. Ultimately, he just wasn't happy and he missed home. The doctor said that his depression also brought on a condition known as tinnitus, which is pretty much a constant ringing in your ears. And it can come and go, or it can be constant, which I can't imagine how torturous that must be. I mean, I feel like that would just make things twice as worse. Like I said, even though Andy was set to live out his dream, he just couldn't handle the change that it brought to his life. It was a very drastic change for him to just up and leave home. The psychiatrist decided to prescribe Andy with two strong antidepressants and he was in his psychiatric care for nine months. After six months, his doctor said he seemed mentally healthy enough to go back to his flight training school. He felt that he had seen enough improvement in him and that his depression had subsided. He wrote a letter to German aviation officials and he said, quote, patient alert and mentally fully oriented with no retentivity or memory disorders. Mr. Lubitz completely recovered. The treatment has been finished. So this was pretty much the doctor giving him his clean bill of health. He was like, you're good to return back to school. But Andy's treatment wasn't over. As I said, this letter was only written six months into his treatment, but he received treatment for nine months. So he had another three months left. So why the doctor said that his treatment was over is unclear. Now, maybe he was trying to get Andy back out there and motivate him to get better and allow him to go back to his flight training school. But either way, this was an untrue statement. Statement. I mean, if he was clear and ready to go back, why did he spend another three months in treatment? Maybe they should have held off on that for a little bit longer. But within a few months of receiving the letter, aviation officials restored Andy's fit to fly medical certificate. But it would stay on his record that he would have to get regular examinations. And if he ever had to resume his treatments again or was prescribed any more medication, he would no longer be fit to fly for the foreseeable future. And he would have to go back and get another fit to fly medical certificate valid. Validated. In the beginning of 2010, Andy returned to the Left Hands of Flight Training Pilot School in Bremen, Germany. Now, remember earlier I said, after a year of studying at the school, you begin your flying training at an associated school in Arizona. And Andy was filling out a form for an airman's medical certificate that all student pilots had to complete as required by the US Federal Aviation Administration or the FAA. So pretty much this form had to be filled out in order for him to attend the school in Arizona. So this form that Andy was filling out out asked if the applicant had ever been diagnosed with mental disorders of any sort, such as depression, anxiety, or etc. Andy checked the box that said no. Then there was a space below that question that asked the applicant to detail any medical treatment they had undergone within the past three years. Andy literally had just gotten out of being under psychiatric care as well as being prescribed two antidepressants within the past year, but he didn't put this down. He didn't put anything down he decided to leave the section blank. So essentially he lied by omission because he didn't tell the whole truth. Lying on an application for the FAA is an arrestable offense and it can get you banned from flying permanently. Four days after Andy submitted this form, it was flagged. Turns out one of the aviation doctors knew about Andy's condition and they noticed that he had lied on his application. So he decided to report Andy to the FAA and surprisingly, they went really easy on him. They told him that 
He couldn't be deemed eligible to receive a medical certificate unless they received a current detailed report from his doctor, verifying that he was well enough to fly. So they really didn't even do anything. They just gave him a second chance. They were like, just submit the proof and you're good to go. But all Andy did was admit that he lied on the application, even though they already knew that. And he said, yes, I was diagnosed with depression and given medication for it. This seemed like that was enough for them to approve him, just him admitting and disclosing what his condition was. But they already knew he was lying. So why did him admitting it make you think, oh, good enough? They just validated his medical certificate, but it would only be valid for a year before he would have to get another exam and get it validated again for another year. So even though Andy lied on this application, which can get you arrested, he was approved and he headed to Arizona for further flight training with the rest of his class. At this flight training school in Goodyear, Arizona, Andy received 100 hours of flight training on either an aircraft or a flight simulator. And if you don't know what a flight simulator is, it's just a realistic video game-like device that recreates flying a plane and using the controls that do so. So it puts you in the point of view of being in the cockpit and it allows you to pretty much fly a fake plane. I've actually used a flight simulator before and it was in this class when I was in like elementary school and we got a real pilot to come in and teach us how to do it. But me and one other girl out of the entire class were the only people that could not land that damn animated plane. It is much harder than it looks. I guess that makes it a good way to practice if you know what you're doing or if you want to become a pilot someday, because let me tell you, it's hard. Andy returned to Germany in the spring of 2011 to train even further by flying jets. And he began working as a flight attendant for Lufthansa, the German airline I mentioned earlier that also owns the flight school he was attending. And in fall of 2013, Andy began working for German Wings, a small, low-cost airline owned by Lufthansa. It didn't take him long to become a first officer and then a co-pilot, and he mostly went on short flights to start out with. Some of his responsibilities included monitoring the plane's instruments, communicating with air traffic controllers, sharing control of the plane with the captain, and he would fly the plane alone whenever the pilot took a break. Because of Andy's past mental health issues, he was required to undergo regular examinations, as I said earlier. And he had to undergo these examinations by a doctor that worked for the Lufthansa airline. But no one is sure how often these exams were given or what exactly they were looking for, or just how hard they looked at his behavior in order to see if he was still fit to fly. And given what happened later on, it's safe to assume that they did not check him too often or too closely. Either that or Andy was just really, really good at hiding his issues. The same year Andy started working for German Wings, he moved to Dusseldorf and lived in a nice luxury apartment. And he moved in with his girlfriend, Catherine Goldbach. Now she always said that her and Andy's relationship was quote, stable and harmonious. Things seemed to be going pretty well for Andy. He was in a great relationship. He got the job of his dreams and his mental health seemed to be improving. People that worked with and knew Andy said that he was somebody you wanted to be your pilot. He was said to be determined, diligent, and just overall pretty positive. People really enjoyed working with him, but things would soon take a turn. In December of 2014, Andy began experiencing some pretty strange physical symptoms. And according to him, they included seeing stars, halos, flying insects, flashes of light, light sensitivity, and double vision. Andy believed that he was going blind. He started visiting eye and brain specialists three to four times a week 
out of an extreme fear of going blind. But after getting a number of professional opinions, doctors weren't able to find anything wrong with his eyes or his brain. They suggested that Andy was feeling these symptoms due to a psychological overreaction, pretty much saying that his symptoms were psychosomatic. He was convincing himself that he felt these things. In reality, they think he was just experiencing anxiety. But Andy would not accept this answer, even though doctors found nothing wrong with him. One of his doctors decided to diagnose him as experiencing emergent psychosis, which starts with experiencing hallucinations and seeing and hearing things that aren't there. Not to mention, Andy was experiencing insomnia and only getting three to four hours of sleep a night. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not too comfortable having somebody fly a plane that I'm on when they're not getting adequate sleep. Because during this time, he was still working, which is a bit scary. The doctor who diagnosed him with emergent psychosis suggested that he check himself into a psychiatric clinic before his symptoms got any worse because he definitely felt like Andy was on the edge of a psychotic break, but he refused. He didn't want to go get help. He wanted to keep working. The following January in 2015, Andy's mother Ursula decided to call his old doctor that had treated him during his first depressive episode back when he left flight school. And Andy decided to go home to Montabar and go get evaluated by him. And it was clear, according to the doctor, that his depression had come back. He decided to give Andy psychotherapy and prescribed him new strong meds. Now the scary part about this, as I said, is that Andy was still working. He was continuing to fly, which he wasn't supposed to be doing if he was experiencing another depressive episode or being prescribed new medication. But this was never disclosed to the company he worked for. Andy was even given doctor's notes and placed on four days of sick leave. And he was supposed to give his boss these notes in order to exempt him from flying. He was not in the right state of mind to be doing so. But Andy never gave his doctor these notes. He just didn't go to work for the four days. And he knew that telling his bosses that he was suffering from another depressive episode could hurt his career. So he hid it, which is very, very irresponsible given the fact that other people's lives were in his hands. But he was more concerned about not looking bad to his superiors and losing that status of being a co-pilot. Now you may be wondering, why didn't the doctor reveal this information to Andy's job? It shouldn't have been up to Andy to tell his bosses. He was biased towards himself to continue working. Clearly he wasn't really thinking about anybody else's lives. So he was continuing to fly knowing that he was having these problems. The doctor later came out and said that he could not tell Andy's bosses about his condition because of the rule where you can't share health information about your patients. But according to German privacy laws, psychiatrists are allowed to tell someone's employer about their worker's medical condition if it threatens the lives of others. And being a pilot definitely qualifies as a job where you would want to let an employer know if they're having certain issues. You're literally flying a plane full of people unsuspecting that you're having these mental disorders. So I understand it can get a little bit hectic when there's privacy laws in place and you may not be able to reveal certain things to certain parties. I understand that. But the fact that there was a stipulation and a caveat in there saying, you can tell the employer as long as this person is a threat to public safety. But yet the doctor still didn't do that. I don't know if they didn't know this or if they're just saying that so they don't look wrong or guilty or trying to evade responsibility. But either way, the doctor would have been able to tell the employer and maybe that would have prevented what happened next. By March of 2015, Andy's medical condition began to decline further and further and his suicidal thoughts had returned. On March 20th, he made a few internet searches such as ways to commit suicide and cockpit doors and their security provisions. 
Now, during this time, people in Andy's life did not know what was going on with him at all. They had no idea he was struggling. They all said he seemed enthusiastic about his job and just happy overall. Even his girlfriend, Catherine, that he lived with, didn't notice anything odd about his behavior, according to her. So it just goes to show how easy it is for somebody to hide their issues if they really want to. And that's what makes this so much scarier. On March 22nd, Andy wrote on a piece of paper, decision day, and had the flight code BCN standing for Barcelona, written next to it. Underneath of that, he wrote this, quote, inner will to work and continue to live, stress and sleeplessness, let myself go. On March 23rd, Andy finally returned to work and flew from Dusseldorf to Berlin and back. The pilot that he was with reported that he was behaving very normally. That night when he returned home, Catherine said he was perfectly fine. She said, we went to the grocery store, we got groceries, had a great time at home. It was just a normal night. And on the morning of March 24th, 2015, Andy went back to work at the Dusseldorf airport. Now I'm going to list a timeline according to the cockpit voice recorder that was recovered by the black box of the plane. And if you don't know what a black box is, it's not even black, it's actually a bright orange recording device that's placed in an aircraft used to investigate aviation accidents and incidents. It's a nearly indestructible metal box, but even if it is destroyed, you can still extract its contents and listen to what happened on the plane right before it went down. At 7 a.m., Andy boarded the flight and took his place in the cockpit. The flight was headed for Barcelona, the same city written on the piece of paper from earlier that Andy had written while he was at home. Andy then switched the plane's autopilot altitude to 100 feet, while the captain, Patrick Sondenheimer, stepped out of the cockpit for a little bit. Then Andy quickly switched it back before any air traffic controllers noticed. Now, by this point, the flight has not taken off yet. Andy just flipped this on and flipped this off while the captain was gone. Eventually, Captain Sondenheimer returned to the cockpit and the flight began, and they flew to and landed safely in Barcelona. At 9 a.m., the German Wings flight 9525 took off from the Barcelona airport after its first flight there was completed. So the first flight to Barcelona went off without a hitch. Then they were headed back from Barcelona to Dusseldorf, Germany. The flight was set to be two hours long and there were 150 people on board, including passengers and crew members. At 9.30 a.m., the plane reached 38,000 feet. The plane made its final contact with air traffic control at this time as well. The captain and Andy were asking for permission to continue flying their route and it was granted. And this was the last time air traffic control ever heard from flight 9525 again. Now the skies were clear and it was set to be a pretty smooth flight. Captain Sondenheimer told Andy that he was going to the bathroom really quick and he would be right back. And it was at this point that Andy would be taking over the flight until he returned. But almost immediately after the captain left the cockpit, Andy locked the door and changed the autopilot altitude to 100 feet, just like he had tested before the flight took off on the way to Barcelona. And the plane began to descend. At 9.33 a.m., the plane started to pick up speed upon its descent, and air traffic control decided to contact the aircraft and say, uh, hey, what are you doing? Why are you descending? You know, it's not even near time to land. We're only 30 minutes into the flight, but it's supposed to be a two-hour flight. 
why are you descending? And at the time, Andy was the only person in the cockpit and he didn't answer. Air traffic control continued trying to contact him for several minutes, but he still didn't answer. At 9.34 a.m., a buzzer was activated requesting access to the cockpit. And we're assuming that this was Captain Sondenheimer because he tried the door and it was locked. And there were knocks on the cockpit door heard on the black box recording. And this was Captain Sondenheimer begging for Andy to open the door. And he's saying, quote, for the love of God, open this door. But Andy didn't respond. If anything, he was heard on the recording being very calm and breathing perfectly normal, which is so eerie. By this point, the plane had dropped to 25,000 feet. It had dropped 13,000 feet within four minutes. Passengers were starting to realize that something was seriously wrong and they felt the plane begin to fall. At 9.39 a.m., very loud, violent blows were heard on the cockpit door from the black box recording, indicating that somebody was trying to break it down, desperately trying to get inside. Turns out, this was Captain Sondenheimer trying to pry the door open with a crowbar that was kept in the back of the plane. The pilot of another plane nearby actually tried to contact the cockpit as well, but once again, Andy wouldn't answer anybody. At this point, the plane was at 10,000 feet and it was dropping at an alarmingly fast rate. Andy decided that it was time for him to place an oxygen mask over his face, which is extremely chilling to me. And Captain Sondenheimer continued to scream, open this door, open this fucking door. And he kept saying that over and over and over again. By 9.40 a.m., the terrain-terrain pull-up alert was triggered inside the plane. And this is a very shrill, loud alarm that was sounded to signal the pilot to pull up on the plane's controls to increase its altitude because it was getting dangerously low to the ground too fast. But the plane continued to descend further and further until it dropped to 7,000 feet. And it was at this point that German Wings Flight 9525 lost contact with the radar. Eventually, the plane dropped down to 5,000 feet, and at this altitude, the right wing of the plane clipped the side of the French Alps, a mountain range located in the southeast of France. The last altitude the plane was recorded at was 2,000 feet, which is extremely low. At 9.41 a.m., the German wings flight 9525 airplane crashed into the French Alps at 430 miles per hour. All the black box recorded at this time were terrified screams before crashing. All 150 people on board died, 144 passengers and six crew members, including Andy, who was only 27 years old. This was the first crash ever reported for the German Wings airline, and it took only 10 minutes to happen. And it was said that all passengers were killed on impact. I can't think of anything scarier or more tragic happening. That is honestly probably my worst fear. I'm actually afraid of flying and not gonna say this story helped at all, even though this is a pretty rare occurrence. Just to think about that happening is just so scary. Captain Patrick Sondenheimer 
he really did what he could to save the lives of the passengers. He was married, he had a three-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter, and he had over 6,000 hours of flight time. And he started flying for German wings because he wanted to be closer to his family. And the fact that he was trying so hard to save all the other individuals and use the crowbar to try to get into the cockpit, I mean, he desperately fought until the very end, but ultimately he was unsuccessful. I can't imagine how scared the passengers must have been to have that moment where they realize that something's wrong, something's going on, and there's really nothing that can stop it. The plane is just going down further and further, and there's nothing that the captain can even do about it. The captain is locked out, and the co-pilot is in there by himself crashing the plane on purpose. The fear that they must have felt realizing what was about to happen and accepting their fate that this plane was going to crash unless the co-pilot decided to pull back at the last second. I mean, it's just horrible to know that they spent their last few moments so terrified. I mean, no one deserves to die that way. No one deserves to have to go through that. I mean, they were just innocent people trying to get to where they were going and they got caught up in something so tragic. On flight 9525, there were 16 sophomore students from the Joseph Koenig Gymnasium High School studying abroad and they were returning from Barcelona. On that flight as well were two well-known opera singers, one of which was holding her baby during the flight. That part just really, really gets to me. The innocence that was just stolen and completely wiped away, you know, for a baby to be involved in that, for little kids to be there, for students to be there, studying abroad, trying to gain new life experiences, and all they're trying to do is just come home. The families of the victims were escorted to the Barcelona airport to be informed of what happened to their loved ones. I can't even like, oh my God, to be in that position to know that you're on the way to find out if your loved one was on that flight, they did not survive. I've never experienced anything like this before, but when you're told about something like this happening, you're at least hoping in the back of your mind that they'll be okay, that maybe they did survive, maybe they just got injured, maybe the crash wasn't as bad, but to know that everybody was taken, including your loved one, is just heartbreaking. The feeling of helplessness, to know that you couldn't be there for your loved one, you probably didn't even get to say, goodbye to them. Now you have to find out that they've been involved in such a horrific crash that's taken their life. I mean, the pain, the pain that they must have felt and to find out later on why this happened and it was just unnecessary. I feel like as hard as it would be, it would be easier to live with knowing it was an accident, but to know that it was done deliberately and your loved one had to be a victim to that, I feel for me would make it so much harder to accept. While the families of the victims were being informed of what happened to their loved ones, firefighters and EMTs were on the scene doing what they could to look for potential survivors through the wreckage, but it was clear that there weren't any. The black box recording device was recovered that same day and it was damaged, but investigators were able to listen to the recording and it didn't take long for them to realize that the plane was crashed on purpose. It was clear on that recording that somebody was desperately trying to get into the cockpit, but was unable to because it had been locked from the inside. On March 26th, two days after the crash, five police officers searched Andy's apartment to find any evidence as to why he did what he did. They also searched his parents' home as well, and they found medical documents detailing his troubled mental state, including his diagnosis of depression, hallucinations, in early stages of psychosis, as well as suicidal thoughts. They also found ripped up doctor's notes that he was supposed to use to excuse him from work that were never given to his bosses. 
Then they found the piece of scrap paper with decision day and the flight code for Barcelona on it that I mentioned earlier. They also found, quote, a small mountain of pills used to treat anxiety and depression. So this suggests that Andy had stopped taking his medication leading up to the crash. The fact that he even had this medication deemed him unfit to fly, but yet he still wasn't taking it, which just made it worse. On March 31st, 2015, a week after the crash, search teams continued to look through the wreckage for any remains of the victims, which was difficult because the terrain of the mountains was very, very rough. They actually had to be helicoptered in in order to access the French Alps safely. By this point, 78 people had been identified by DNA and 40 phones were found in the wreckage. They were very heavily damaged, but they were taken in and analyzed anyway with hopes that they could possibly find something on there that could continue to paint the picture of what happened here. On April 2nd, the second black box was found and this black box is known as the flight data recorder. And this records the actions of the plane itself leading up to the crash. The actions that it records include the plane speed, altitude, direction, and use of the autopilot. Investigators can use this data to determine why the plane crashed, and they were able to find that Andy switched the autopilot altitude from the initial 38,000 feet, which was the cruising altitude, to 100 feet. They were able to determine that Andy did in fact crash the plane on purpose, and they had factual evidence to prove that. By this point, investigators had also found the Google searches Andy had made just two days before the crash. The searches that included how to commit suicide and how to lock a cockpit door. The funerals for the victims began in early June of that year and many, many memorials were held for them as well. So many people came out to pay their respects because this was really devastating for this community. They hadn't experienced anything like this before. This was not something that happened. If anything, this was actually the first crash for this airline. This just ripped this community apart. People really did what they could to step up and be there for the victims because this was just so senseless. The fact that it could have been prevented at so many different points before it got here is frustrating. And now innocent lives have been taken. Family members have to live without their loved ones because no action was taken to prevent it. In April of 2016, the following year, 80 families of the victims decided to file a lawsuit against the airline training center in Arizona, claiming that Andy should have never been able to fly planes or receive his pilot's license due to his history of depression and suicidal thoughts. On Andy's medical certificate clearing him to fly, it stated that he would be declared unfit to fly if he suffered another depressive episode. Yet, this never happened. He was permitted to continue flying, even though he was not medically able to. Andy really fell through the cracks in this case, and there was a lot that wasn't kept up to snuff because people didn't think something like this would happen. You don't run the risk. This is why you take the precautions and the measures because you never know what can happen. He was able to get away with not presenting evidence that his condition was worsening, and he even got away with lying on his FAA application. That should have been a red flag right there. Yet he was still able to fly and faced no consequences. As I said earlier, him informing his bosses was left to his discretion, which was a very bad judgment call. He didn't tell them he wanted to keep working. Somebody else should have had the responsibility of telling his bosses or at least making sure that he did, but that never happened. The CEO of Lufthansa, the company that owns German Wings as well as the flight school that Andy attended, his name was Karsten Spoer. 
and he faced a lot of questioning. Now, it was said that sometimes a flight attendant is actually supposed to replace a captain in the cockpit if they step out in case the co-pilot suffers a medical emergency or does something like what Andy did. But this didn't happen. And Carson came out and said that this wasn't their policy. I mean, it's the policy with other airlines, but it wasn't the policy for his. People also wondered how Andy was even able to work for the airline given his mental history. And Carson claimed that there was no system that could rule out such an isolated event, which to me is ridiculous. The regular exams weren't being given, he wasn't being checked on, and he wasn't being forced to tell his doctors. He was just being given doctor's notes and they said, tell your doctor, but he never did. There was nothing in place to prevent what happened. And he said, this is such an isolated incident. And like, yeah, it's rare, but the fact that it could even happen once is enough for some sort of measures to be put in place to not have it happen. If anything, there should have been measures put in place before that. Karsten apologized about the crash occurring, but the families of the victims were still very upset with him. They felt like his apology wasn't enough and they didn't like the fact that he didn't apologize to them directly. Karsten chose not to attend a ceremony for the victims because he didn't want to distract from the occasion because there was a lot of bad blood between him and the victims' families, which really shouldn't be at all. I mean, you should have been there. You should have been contrite. You should have apologized to them directly and done what you could. They just felt like he wasn't doing enough to apologize to them or prevent something like this happening in the future. So they were not happy with him at all. The victims were also upset with Andy's father, Gunther. He held a press conference stating that his son wasn't depressed or suicidal. And he gave this announcement two years to the day of the crash, which was very inappropriate timing in my opinion. And his father said, quote, up to now, everyone has believed the theory of a co-pilot who was depressed for a long time, who deliberately crashed this plane into a mountain in a planned act. We are convinced this is false. He, along with a journalist named Tim Van Beveren, post the theory that a carbon monoxide leak in the cabin of the plane caused a medical emergency for Andy, making him unable to unlock the cockpit door and let Captain Patrick Sondenheimer in. There's so much that doesn't support that theory. The medical reports by his doctors stating that he was suicidal and depressed, the Google searches, the notes found in his trash can, suggesting that the Barcelona flight was going to be the flight he would crash, and the literal black box recording showing that Andy's breathing was completely normal. So if he was suffering a medical emergency, why was he breathing normally? Why was he calm? Why did he have the capacity and the sound to put his oxygen mask on? And why would he have locked the cockpit door in the first place? That doesn't make any sense. And why did nobody else experience a medical emergency from the carbon monoxide poisoning? Just Andy. That makes no sense. Why during a medical emergency would he have changed the autopilot altitude to 100 feet? Like, come on. I get that Andy's parents lost somebody too, and it's hard for them to come to terms with, but to come up with a whole theory that really makes no sense at all and is not supported by any evidence and ignore all the evidence out there that suggests what really happened is disrespectful to the other families that lost somebody. The denial of things just makes it much harder. This really reminds me of the Diane Schuler case that I just did where, you know, Daniel, her husband was trying so hard to deny that Diane was drunk behind the wheel because he didn't want to accept the fact that she was probably be a secret alcoholic or maybe she made such an irresponsible decision that cost the lives of others. It happened. I know it's tragic. I know it's sad and hard to come to terms with, but denying is not going to make anything better. 
Andy's girlfriend at the time of his death, Catherine Goldbach, who I mentioned earlier, ended up fleeing the home that she shared with him. Her and her family actually just fled the entire town. She had had enough of the negative backlash she was receiving because people were blaming her for Andy's mental decline. They were said to be having issues at the time of his death that were just not known to the public. And people said that this may have caused Andy's breakdown to get worse. At the end of the day, Andy made the choice that he made for whatever reason, and it had nothing to do with her. It wasn't her fault. She doesn't control what he does. And it's sad that Catherine had to deal with all of this because she's also trying to cope with not only the loss of her partner, but also the fact that she was pregnant. Her and Andy would have been expecting a child. And Catherine just had so much to deal with. Now she's gonna have to have their child without him all while dealing with this negative backlash for something that she had no part in. Honestly, this case is very sad to me. The powerless feeling that everyone on board must have felt, especially Captain Sondenheimer. I mean, he walked out of the cockpit innocently, just going to the bathroom, and little did he know he was sealing the fate of everyone on the plane, including himself. And he tried so hard to save everybody and save the plane, but ultimately, Andy made up his mind. He knew what he was gonna do. He'd been planning it for a while, it seemed like, and he carried it out. And it's just horrible, horrible that something like this can happen. And the CEO doesn't even say that he's gonna put anything in place to prevent it from happening again because it was so isolated. So does it have to happen twice for you to care enough to do something about it? That doesn't make any sense. As I said, one time is too many. The German Wings airline was renamed to Eurowings, which was actually its original name. Eventually, Lufthansa decided to close the German Wings airline in April of 2020 after the pandemic had began. And this was mainly due to the fact that there just wasn't enough money to keep it open in operation. People weren't flying, they weren't going anywhere. There just wasn't a whole lot of revenue being generated for the entire company, and there just wasn't enough to go around. So German Wings was cut out. I think it already was wasn't as popular anymore given the tragedy that had happened. Just the name German Wings, it just had a very negative connotation to it. It seemed like it was best for this airline to be the first one to go. My heart goes out to all the families of the victims, including Andy's parents. They lost somebody too. Even though I don't like the fact that they're trying to pose another theory that has no other evidence behind it, I do still feel for them because they lost their son and their son was responsible for the deaths of over a hundred other people. That's hard to live with, knowing that the person that you raised killed all of these people. But with that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this episode. We will be back next week with two more episodes. Thank you so much for listening and I hope to see you in the water soon.